Well, as we begin this morning, uh, I just want you to know that as I, we move into the subject matter today, I just want you to know that I come uh, at it from a posture of humility and empathy and compassion. It is something that has personally impacted the lives of both my wife and I. Uh, my parents divorced when I was eight, uh, after which my dad and I moved from Wisconsin to Wichita. I was in the middle of the fourth grade. Uh, both of my parents remarried. Uh, my mother then uh, and my stepfather, 10 years after they were married, they got divorced. And in fact, when that happened, he threatened to cut off any family member that not only continued to interact with my mother, but even continued to interact with me. And this, uh, these are people that had been my grandparents and my aunts and my cousins, even a stepsister from um, a childhood into being a young adult. And so this affected me at a very deep level. Uh, my wife's parents separated when she was 20 and divorced the following year, both remarried. My wife's brother and sister-in-law divorced some years ago, and we have other family and many friends who have been divorced, some of whom have become remarried, all of the situations painful and messy. And sadly, like others, my personal history with the church and divorce has been messy as well. Uh, a key reason that I ended up not growing up going to church is following my parents' divorce and moving to Wichita. Uh, my dad, my dad and I, we started attending a church here in Wichita, and after a few visits, my, we both really liked it, and my dad was never one to sit on the sidelines, so he went up to approach some of the leadership one Sunday and said, hey, my son and I have been attending for a few weeks, and I'd really like to serve. Uh, and at first, like most church leaders, when somebody takes the initiative to come and say, hey, I'd like to serve, like they were very excited. But then they asked, you know, we're sorry to ask this, but how did your wife die? Uh, because single dads, especially in Kansas and especially at that time, uh, were almost non-existent. So they just assumed that my mother had died, and then he informed them that he actually he was divorced, and they responded with, oh, we're, we're so sorry. You and your son are welcome to attend, uh, but we can't really let you volunteer as a divorced person. And that experience combined with another led my dad to say, literally, screw the church. And for years, other than weddings or funerals, my dad pretty much wouldn't step foot in one. So again, I just know that I approach today's talk from a posture of humility and compassion and empathy and from very, very personal experience. And I put a lot of thought and study and prayer into this. So again, that I might not end up part of someone else's unnecessarily painful story like those individuals that drove my dad away from the church so many years ago. So if you're new to new life, uh, I want you to know this isn't our norm. What I mean is occasionally we'll touch on a very, very difficult and challenging subject uh, because as a leader, I need to do that because I follow Jesus and Jesus did that. I follow him. But if at the end you think, you know, that was the most impractical sermon I've ever heard, then just as a side note, come back next week, okay? It'll be better. Uh, we're starting a new series entitled Free. We're going to get at the root of what the Apostle Paul identifies as the core of what we battle that causes frustration and regret and pain that no personality profile can ever get to that level. No counseling can help, and I am a huge, huge advocate for counseling. And like that, most weeks at New Life, we focus on a teaching and a certain passage to unearth a big idea uh, to seek to follow Jesus in ways that we can apply directly to our day-to-day -day life to make our lives better and to make us better at life. Uh, the second thing that I want to say uh, this morning is that this message is not focused on any of you that might be having difficulty in your marriage and thinking about divorce or should I get divorced. Uh, while you will draw something uh, from this, the focus of this morning's message is on those of you who are divorced and wondering about a second marriage, and for those of you that are remarried and wondering, what does Scripture or Jesus have to say about remarriage? And in my experience, whenever people are in those positions and looking for an answer, uh, you, when you really dig, most of them are looking for a loophole. And they kind of come with their Bible cocked sideways. It's like, does it really say that? And pastor, what do you think? And essentially people are asking, uh, give me permission to do what I am planning to do or tell me I'm okay with God because of what I've already done, the way my divorce went down or because I remarried and here's my circumstances. Uh, he was unfaithful or she was crazy or we had this financial deal or, or whatever the thing is, just tell me that I'm okay with God. My experience as a pastor is that there's a whole lot of angst and a lot of tension 
for those of you who are divorced and thinking about remarriage and wondering, you know, should I? And I, I can't imagine staying single forever, but I know there's some things in the Bible, stuff about this. And then those of you who are remarried inside, you always uh, re- remarried, you always feel like you have to tell your side of the story. You're in your second or your third marriage. Say, but, you know, you just need to know and retell your story so that everybody will go, hey, you're, you know, you're fine. You made the right call. And because of the mix of teaching on divorce and remarriage, as recently as this past week, I've talked to a lot of divorced and remarried people who are still trying to fully make peace with God. And somewhere deep down, they're just always a little unsettled. And part of the reason why is because we, those of us that do what I do, those of us that lead and lead in churches, we just have, have just violated a very, very important principle that is so foundational to everything in life and faith that before we jump fully into the subject, let me first explain the foundational principle this way. It's one of Jesus' closest followers, followed him from his baptism to the crucifixion to the resurrection and ultimately to Jesus' ascension was John. John had seen, he'd heard it all. And here's how John summarized the, Jesus and this principle. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And here is this principle, who came full of grace and full of truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses was the main guy in the Old Testament, and God through Moses introduced what is referred to as the law to the nation of of Israel, 613 laws in total. But when Jesus arrived, he he didn't just arrive with, show up with the law or another form of the law. He showed up fully with two incredible things, and these two things mixed completely together create this powerful and crucial dynamic that, that we mess up because we try to balance him or we try to ignore one or the other. Jesus showed up with truth, and we all understand what truth, what law is. It's black and it's white, it's prickly, it's uncompromising, there's consequences for breaking them, and he also showed up with grace in the same full, filled-to-the-brim measure that matched the full truth that he showed up with. So Jesus, so in Jesus, we don't find the balance of grace and truth. We find full, in-your-face, uncomfortable truth, and we also find overwhelming, humbling, accepting grace. And this is where we struggle. In any area of your Christian life where you dumb down truth, you miss out on grace. And it's in all of us to do this. We are all tempted to dumb down truth because we're selfish by nature. And our bent, come on, it is to do what we want, when we want, the way we want. That's just the way we are bent. Our bent in our nature isn't to ask, how close can I get to God? Rather, if we believe in any form of God, then the question that we ask is, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? What can I get away with and not tick God off? See, grace and truth go together. And whenever you hide from or you run from or you rationalize or dumb down truth to fit your preference and the narrative that you want to write, you hijack your ability to receive grace that is available to you. Uh, The biggest example is if you are a Jesus follower uh, is your salvation, that you became a Christian when you embraced the truth. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. When you embrace the truth, I can't work my way to heaven, I can't behave my way to heaven, I can't be good enough, I can never be acceptable to God on my own. Whenever you embrace that truth or got on your knees or somehow expressed that to God from your heart, that's when you received saving grace. But the person that says, you know, I'm not really that bad, I'm not sure I need a Savior, I'm not sure I deserve hell, what they do is they dumb down truth. And when that happens, you never have the opportunity to receive saving grace, to experience, truly experience grace. I must fully embrace the truth. I have a problem, and I cannot fix it on my own. The same is true for every area of our life, and I think it's especially true in this area of divorce and remarriage because grace is available, but it's only available to people who are willing to say and acknowledge, I have a problem, or I created a problem, and I cannot fix it on my own. Grace and truth are messy. The fullness of both grace and truth is just not neat and tidy. So if by the end of this talk, I have one group that says, you know what, you weren't hard enough on this, and if I have another group that feels 
I feel a little bit condemned, then I feel I will have done my best to represent Jesus in this matter, to the best of my ability. Because today, I'd like to talk specifically about what Jesus had to say about divorce and remarriage. And at the end, I'm going to answer six key questions. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you want to follow along, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Catch this real quick. Catch that too. <laughs> Brock, if you just kind of play with them, mash them together like a stress ball for the next few minutes. Just have fun with it. Okay. Now, part of while he's doing that, part of what uh, we're leaning into or is the sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This, the Sermon on the Mount was from Jesus. It was just kind of all over the map. Jesus just went from topic to topic. There was like no pause for like Q&A time. And you just, you just want to stop and say, okay, well, wait, 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 Jesus. Like whatever it was you just said, okay, we need some clarification. We need some understanding. He just keeps moving on. He's blitzing through all these different topics. And then in verse 31, he hits briefly on this topic of divorce and remarriage. So Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman woman commits adultery. And then he just changes subjects and moves on. I mean, imagine if I just came up here this morning, said those words, turned off my mic, and just walked off. Like, if you can imagine how you would feel in that moment, then you know how these people felt in that moment. And it's like, Jesus, this doesn't even make sense. I mean, if a person is divorced, if a woman's divorced and she remarries, that's that's not adultery. I mean, adultery is married people fooling around with people that are not their husband or wife, but he just keeps moving on. Well, fortunately, later, some religious leaders, they came to ask Jesus for some details on this. And uh, in, this day, in this day and time and in this culture, there were two main schools of thought when it came to divorce and remarriage. One said a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all. Now, you need to understand that in this culture, women, they had no legal authority. They had no ability to kick a man out. They could not file for divorce. And this view was that if a man got mad at his wife, or he decided she didn't look good enough, if, if she burned his matzah, you know, age and gravity, they weren't being kind to her, like whatever the reason, just like, I don't want to live with you anymore. And he could just decide to kick her out. And, and uh, the other primary school of thought was, no, 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 we have got to put some boundaries on this, okay, a limit. The only way a man can divorce his wife is if she commits adultery, or if he finds out that she was somehow unfaithful during the engagement period. And, uh, and, and back then, engagement was sort of like marriage. I mean, most of you know or remember the story of Mary and Joseph, and when he found out that Mary was pregnant with Jesus, what, what are we told? We're told that he decided quiet to, to divorce her quietly, because in that culture, if you broke the engagement for legal purposes, you had to get a divorce. It was a legal matter. So the second view said that you can divorce your fiancé or wife only if there is immorality of some kind, some unfaithfulness of some kind. So they come to Jesus and they say, tell us, what are the circumstances in which God says it's okay to get out? And tell us what the circumstances in which God says it's okay to get back in. Because they're wondering what you and I are wondering. Like, when do I get out? Is there a loophole? Do I qualify for that loophole? What are the circumstances that allow a person to get a divorce and God will give them the thumbs up? It's okay. And it's an understandable question. And in this text, Jesus gives the definitive teaching on divorce and remarriage. And then everything after these verses is simply question and answer on that definitive teaching. So if you're following in your Bible, your Bible app, you can go to Matthew 19 because that's where we're going to pick up the scenario. We'll also have the verses on the screen. But uh, Matthew 19, verse 3, uh, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So they're questioning one of the perspectives and they're saying, in other words, which of the views do you hold? Haven't you read Jesus' reply? Which this, I love Jesus because this was just kind of a smack on these guys because all they ever did was read. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That is my answer to your question. That is my answer to your question of what are the circumstances in which divorce and remarriage are permitted. 
And of course, they're thinking what we're thinking. Okay, but what are the circumstances? Like, you didn't give any circumstances. You didn't answer our question. And what Jesus was saying, in effect, was you are asking the wrong question. He's saying, you are asking the wrong question because you're asking for the circumstances. You're, you're, you're asking that question because you don't understand marriage. You don't understand what happens in marriage because when God joins a man and a woman in marriage, something unique happens. It has nothing to do with circumstances. It has nothing to do with what you knew or what you didn't know or what you did or didn't intend. When God puts a man and a woman together, Moses says, and Jesus affirms, that they become one flesh. That where before, and as you can see, you may not be able to see, there's two eggs in here. Where before there were two individuals, there's now something different. Where before there were two different things, there's now one thing. If you're too far in the back to see what I tossed them, it was just two different colors of Play-Doh. They're now blended together. So he's saying that whereas before there were two individual things separate, there is now a singular thing that didn't exist before. So what you're asking, you could separate those two back out again. Toss it back up here. (laughs) You say what you're asking is impossible. You're trying to unscramble eggs. You're trying to un-one what God has made one. What God has made one, let no man be or woman be so arrogant as to think that they can un-one what God has made one. Okay, Jesus, that's nice and everything, but what are the circumstances? Like, what are the circumstances when, when this can... You, Jesus is saying circumstances are irrelevant. The goal of marriage isn't oneness. The result of marriage is oneness. Now, if that bothers you, you get it. If you're single and you're thinking, man, <laughs> I was afraid of commitment before. I don't know. You get it. If you feel that way, you get what Jesus is saying. If you're here and you're remarried, and if emotionally that strikes you as potentially condemning or a little scary, then as we're going to see, you understand. And if you're divorced, and if your view of marriage lands anywhere short of what Jesus is describing, it means you don't get what Jesus is saying. It means you don't understand marriage the way that Jesus is saying God designed and originated and defined and implemented marriage. You, you, you just can't unwind what God made one. So don't try. And here's the thing, for anyone that has been divorced, if you've been divorced, you know what he's saying is true. Because it doesn't matter how many years pass, especially if kids are involved, a physical, tangible, visual of two becoming one, then you know a part of that person is with you. Kids are not forever. You just know it. Now, the Pharisees were like us. All right, all right, Jesus, like we know how you like to just drop these bombs and then just drop the mic because you never paid for a mic and you just walk off. And, but we've got some questions, okay? But here's what we need to understand, that from this point on, this is nothing more than Q&A with Jesus based on the definitive teaching that he's already given. Jesus has given the definitive statement about what marriage is and man's unending ability to undo what God has done. That's the answer. And just like me, you want to go, but what about, but what about, but what about this? And so the Pharisees ask a logical question. They ask, why then? Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? You're contradicting Moses, Jesus. Like, you can't do that. And again, Jesus, this is just simply Q&A. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you. He permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because your hearts were hard. In other words, this is so important. Man created divorce, not God. And the reality is that sometimes a man just doesn't want to live with a woman anymore. And he's decided, I don't care what the consequences are socially or legally with either of our families. I just don't want to live with her anymore. And he kicks her out. 
or he leaves. And this was happening to women over and over again. Women just, because again, they couldn't kick a man out legally. And because of the culture, women would go back to their families in shame because they had been kicked out, but now they, they can't remarry and they don't know where they stand in society. And, and, and then suddenly, on a cold desert night, the, the husband decides that he's lonely and he, he just goes to get his wife for a booty call. And the next morning he's like, I changed my mind again, get out. And it was just a back and forth and women were powerless and being mistreated. So Moses decides, I can't change a man's heart, but we've got to do something to do the best that we can. So we are putting in place and instituting a practice or a law that if you're going to kick her out, then you have to give her a legal divorce so that she can do what she needs to do and be able to function in society and be able to remarry and be able to take care of. Because again, in that culture, women couldn't inherit. Like, so the only way that she could be provided for was to be married. So Moses institutes this. He instituted divorce to protect these women from being taken advantage of by men, much like we do in our society today, because in many cases, women have to get a divorce to protect themselves from their lunatic husbands. And that's just unfortunately too common. But in most cases, it was simply a man deciding, I want an upgrade. I want a newer, thinner model. I don't want to live with this woman anymore. So Jesus says, Moses instituted Divorce, but not because of some great holy spiritual thing. It was because of the hardness of men's hearts. But it was not this way from the beginning, Jesus says. A man or a woman thinks marriage is to become one, and then I can create this thing called divorce, and I can unone what God has made one for as long as we both shall live. But God says for a divorce certificate to be handed down by some judge, it does nothing. It does nothing to unwon a married couple. Protect? Yes. But dissolve a marriage? No, because it's, it's not possible. It's as if God says, look, you can make up all the silly rules that you want, but divorce belongs to man. Marriage belongs to me. And if you try to change the rules of my, you can try to change the rules of my game, but you can't. And if that's true, then we shouldn't be surprised at how the disciples respond to Jesus or what Jesus says next, or it can't be a surprise at what Jesus says next. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus is saying, you think because you have a certificate that that somehow unwound you, that somehow you, you, I don't want you, and now you get to go and just marry anyone else. But I, I just need you to know that it's, it's adultery. You say it's not adultery because I'm not married anymore. I'm not married anymore. God says, well, who told you that? Well, a judge did. Judge says I'm not married. God says, but, but marriage belongs to me. Not a judge, not the state, not the court. It belongs to me because this is the way... I design marriage, and, and you're one. You just are. No judge, no certificate, or anybody else can undo that. So if you remarry, Jesus says you commit adultery because you're having sex with someone who's not your husband, not your wife. Now, if what Jesus says makes you unsettled or uncomfortable, like it does me, then you get it. If you think, surely, surely it's not that permanent, it's not that big of a deal, it's not, then you don't get it. Now, this little Greek phrase in the NIV that's translated sexual immorality comes from a single Greek word, porneia. It just simply means immorality. Now, there's all sorts of views as to what Jesus meant, and I don't want to get, out, get on a big thing, but contrary to popular belief, I don't actually believe what Jesus was referring to was adultery. In other words, that he wasn't saying if your wife commits adultery that you're free to divorce and remarry. I, I believe that if he meant it, he would have said it. That he would have said adultery. That he would have used the Greek word moiheia, which is for adultery. But he didn't. Rather, Jesus uses this word porneia. It was just a more general word for immorality or sexual immorality. And as I've studied, my belief is what is often referred to as the exception clause has nothing to do with people who are married. Rather, it had people to do, do with people who were in the pre-marriage period. Now, why would I think that? Well, because Luke, Luke records this very same incident 
in the book that he wrote, and he did not include this exception clause. And most scholars embrace the idea that Matthew was writing to Jews and that Luke was writing to a Greek audience or Gentiles, a Greek audience, and in Jewish culture that Matthew was writing to, they would have just understood. If you're engaged, you need a legal document or a divorce to break your engagement. So that would mean that Jesus was saying that you should only be able to break it if you find out that your fiancé has been fooling around or your fiancé is pregnant. So the implication is that the exception clause has nothing to do with people who are married that it applied to people who were in the pre-marriage period. And another reason I think it is that the exception clause has nothing to do with what Jesus has just definitively taught about marriage and oneness. That if there was some sort of circumstantial loophole that could unwon someone from someone else, he would have stated it. But he doesn't. And again, it only shows up in Matthew, not Luke. And the third reason, the third reason is because as a man and a pastor... I've seen many marriages where there was an adultery, and not only did they hold the ship together, but they went on to have great marriages. In fact, when I was in the military, I served with a guy who was a new Christian, and so was his fiance. and during their engagement, he was on deployment, and they were overnight in another country for a few days on deployment. He went out and drinking, and he woke up in bed the next morning with another woman. Weeks later, he got back stateside, And on the first night back, after taking her out, he drove down by the beach where they could talk privately, and there in the car, he confessed what he had done. And he told her that if she wanted to call off the wedding, he would make sure that people knew that he was at fault. And in an unbelievable demonstration of forgiveness and grace, she decided to forgive him and move forward with the wedding. And through counseling and support and leaning hard into their faith, more than 30 years later now, they've got a beautiful family, an amazing marriage. This is just one example. I have seen firsthand that adultery doesn't have to be the end. But the primary reason, the primary reason I believe Jesus doesn't mean if someone commits adultery that that is an out is how the disciples respond. Because remember, they're standing right there, and they understood better than anyone the culture, the context, and how tightly Jesus had woven his argument. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus essentially says, you're right. And then he goes on to talk about people that have been called to never marry. In other words, their response to what Jesus said should be, our response. It should be like, whoa, I'm like stuck forever. Like, like I am stuck forever. There's no way out. Oh my goodness, what about my first marriage? Oh my goodness, what about my, my second marriage? And how does all that work? In other words, if Jesus' teaching leaves you in a little bit of a panic or unsettled, or if you're, sinking, if you're single and you're thinking, wow, like, I, I don't know, then you get it. You get it. You understand exactly what Jesus is saying. And if your response is anything less than that, it means that that you don't get it. And if your view of divorce and remarriage elicits anything other than, well, maybe it's better not to get married, then your view doesn't match that of Jesus. Because here's why. If Jesus' view was you can get divorced and remarried because of abandonment or because of adultery, well, would that cause anyone to go, wow, then maybe it'd be better if I never got married? No. Because, like, to some extent, that's just kind of common sense. To some extent, we all would buy into that, to one degree or another. But what Jesus said was such an open and shut and extreme and impractical case that his disciples responded, if that's the way it is, if it is irreversible oneness with someone, and, and even after a certificate of divorce, it's considered adultery, then maybe the best thing is to not get married at all. And Jesus was like, yeah, maybe so. And that's the truth. And it's difficult. And it's painful. And it's uncomfortable. And it hurts. And some of you might even feel somewhat condemned. Some of you feel like, I just wish I could get up and leave right now or log off and please don't do that. Because if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, 
what we have to do when we run up against the truth of Jesus, which is full, the painful, difficult thing, no matter how painful or difficult it is, is we just have to step back and say, you're God and I'm not. And whether I knew it or not, or like it or not, I sinned. Because I I got divorced, and I thought it was okay. I got remarried, maybe out of ignorance, or lust, or loneliness. But God, if that's what you say, as painful, as impractical as it seems, I'm going to embrace your truth. Because for those of you who will embrace the full, hard truth of anything that Jesus taught, with truth, there's grace, not loopholes. The way to make peace with God where God says approved, accepted. The way to make sure that you and God are in alignment is, isn't to tell him all the justifying details of your story or why you filed for divorce or we were young or he left or I, and I felt I was free to remarry so I remarried or the, the preacher showed me 12 verses or I read this book and it gave me three loopholes so, and, or I wasn't a Christian when, when I got married because remember Jesus said in the beginning, So before the law, before Christianity, before anything, that marriage belonged, it belongs to God. Jesus says when you got married, you became irreversibly one to the person that you got married to, period. So the way to find peace, the way to find peace in your heart and resolution to some of the conflict in your second or your third marriage, the way to find peace with God is the same way we find peace with God in any other arena of life. It's embracing the truth that stings us. It's God, I was wrong. Forgive me. And God says, I have been waiting for you to come to that conclusion. Now we can begin to move forward. Because by continuing to defend your actions or dumb down the truth or retrofit reality or cherry picking a few verses, you continue to miss out on the grace that is available to you and available to me. Before marriage and through divorce and into a second marriage. There is grace available, but until you stop rationalizing and justifying, God's grace is not available. It's only when you face and embrace the truth that grace is there. Just like for an addict, peace can never be had. Amends can never be made until they do what? Until they stop arguing all the reasons as to why it's not their fault that they're an addict. And they finally stand up and go, I have a problem. A pastor friend of mine preached on divorce. A single guy came up to him afterwards and said, hey, you know, my parents both divorced. They remarried years later. My mom, she got just more and more involved in her faith, and she came to me, and she sat me down, and she said, hey, as I've grown, as I've studied, I realize now I was wrong to divorce your dad, and I realize I was wrong to remarry. And she looked at me and said, it was a sin. Will you forgive me? And he said in that moment, something happened in my mom, something happened in our relationship that has just, things have just gotten better ever since. Do you know what I've seen in the best second marriages? It's when couples will finally look at each other and just say, you know what? We sinned. We committed adultery. We didn't know. Maybe we did. We thought we had a certificate of paper that could unwon us in our ignorance or our lust or our loneliness, whatever it was. We thought that we were free and we tried to undo what God had won. And when they finally embraced that awful, painful, ugly, condemning truth, you know what they found? Peace and grace. Even in their second marriage, because no matter what you've done or where you are now, grace is available. Now, I don't usually take this much time on a sermon. We did a short music set, but I I feel like I just need to quickly address six questions that pretty much always surface whenever we talk about what Jesus said about divorce and remarriage, and we're going to do this real quick. The first question is, does this mean if I'm remarried that we are living in a state of adultery? Like, that's a scary thought. I mean, after what Jesus said, and my answer is, I don't think so. Because Jesus never said anything about living in a state of adultery. He says when you remarry, you commit adultery. The second question is, does this mean God can't bless our marriage, our second marriage, our third marriage? Absolutely not. I know several couples 
that could stand up here and share about how blessed they have been in their second or their third marriage. One of the most amazing mentoring couples in my life. Uh, she was his second marriage. He was her third. And the fact is, every one of us has grace and blessings in our life that we don't deserve, right? And I know plenty of people who are in the second marriage that God has blessed, especially those who have come to grips and embraced God's uncomfortable truth and allowed Him to work in and work through their marriage with incredible forgiving and saving grace. Nothing that we do gets us outside the bounds of the grace of God. But again, to understand and experience that grace First, we have to come to grips with and own the truth because in Christ is grace and truth. Number three, is divorce a sin? And this is the question that comes all up all the time. Some of you may feel condemned because you were divorced or been divorced. You know what? Some divorces are sin and some are not. I'm just being honest. Most divorces are sin. I've experienced people close to me, family members, friends, who bottom line, they just simply didn't want to be married anymore to the person they were married to. They just decided, I don't want to be married to them, or they decided to be unfaithful, they decided whatever, and they claimed irreconcilable differences, but the unvarnished truth, and I'm like not judging, I'm just stating the unvarnished truth, they just gave up, or they wandered. They said, you know, I was just too young, or I married the wrong person, or I just fell out of love, or whatever the, 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 was, the truth was for them, or the, the truth was they just weren't willing to put in the tough, steady, slow, hard work to get mentors and counseling and do what needed to be done. But there is a category of people, just like in the days of Moses, because your spouse has a hard heart, so hard that you have got to do something for protection in order to protect yourself or maybe protect your children. Sometimes divorce really is the only solution. You had to do what you had to do. Or whatever fault you may have had, maybe you had no fault at all. It may just be just that you married a deeply broken, mentally ill person. I've known people like it didn't really come out till after they were married and suddenly like they just go off the rails and you needed to get out. So there is divorce that is sin when you just break a vow, break a covenant so you can just march off and do your own thing in your own way, but it is not always sin. But here's an area where we, especially in the Protestant community, have done a disservice. See, the assumption is if you're free to, free to divorce, then you're free to remarry, which is a logical, seems like a logical leap. But again, if we understand what Jesus says and what Paul says later, divorce may protect you. It may be unavoidable in some circumstances, but it doesn't unwon what God has made one. The fourth question is, if I'm remarried, should I leave my present spouse? Yeah, nice try. <laughs> but if it's, but it's, if it's adultery, no. You're, you're remarried. You're married. You took a vow. You're married. You're married. And God can very much be a part of that and even bless and prosper you and use you in powerful, powerful ways. So no, this teaching doesn't mean you can or should opt out. Now here's the tough one. If I'm divorced, can I remarry? And I'd rather just pray and go home right now. But So let me just spend a couple minutes on this because this is the reason preachers don't ever want or like to preach on what Jesus says. So, so don't log off, don't leave. But if I've interpreted Jesus and Scripture correctly, then according to Jesus, marriage, remarriage is, adult, is adultery. And I don't even like to say that. I mean, can you imagine standing up here and looking into the eyes of other people and saying that? I don't like to say that, but I have to because Jesus did. And as you approach marriage or consider remarriage, the wisest thing you could do is to just embrace the horrible, awful truth. Because what happens is people who don't will say, well, I want to remarry, but if I embrace this view, then it means I'm committing adultery. So I'm going to work and rework Jesus' words to better fit the narrative I prefer. And we do this all the time in so many areas of life. And you begin dumbing down the truth. And when you begin dumbing down the truth, I'm just telling you, if you do that, you miss out on the grace that's available to you. 
Because here's the truth. There is grace on both sides of the equation. If you say, God, I believe to remarry is adultery, and I think I need to stay single, then God says, I'm going to give you the sustaining grace that you need to remain single. But if the person says, you know what, I can't handle that, I'm too lonely, the feelings are too strong, there's there's just too much love, I'm too in love, whatever it is, I'm going to get married anyway, then you need to know that there is forgiving grace on the other side of that too. Some of you don't want me to say that. You want me to talk about the consequences and God said and Paul said and be tough, but if I understand Scripture correctly, there is grace on both sides. Philip Yancey once said, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. So if you go, Chad, so you're, you mean I can just stay single or remarry and God can still accept me? Yes, because God is truth and God is forgiveness and grace. But here's what I'd tell you if you were sitting with me and we were talking. Sustaining grace carries far fewer consequences than forgiving grace. I've seen this played out again and again and again. And here's what I'd tell you. And you don't have to agree with me or my interpretation of Jesus or the Scriptures, but if you're single and divorced and you're wrestling with this issue, I would stand firm and be passionate about this, that before you enter a second or a third marriage, that I would just plead with you to take the time necessary, two years, three years, four years, to lean into prayer and Scripture and pursuing God, professional counseling, working through your junk, learn to rely on God's sustaining grace because you're going to need it on either side of the equation. You're just going to need it on either side. And leaning, learning to lean on God's sustaining grace on this side of remarriage is far easier than learning to lean on it after. That I know for a fact. And if you and I were just sitting and just talking one-on-one, I'm just saying my prayer would be that you would just set a time, say two years, three years, I'm not going to date, I'm not going to consider remarriage, I'm going to spend that time allowing God to do whatever He wants to do in my life, I'm going to give Him the time, I'm going to learn to rely on His sustaining grace to get me through those lonely times, those difficult times, I'm just going to learn to rely on His sustaining grace. Then what I would say to you is my prayer is that in those years, those weekends, those lonely nights, that you would just fall so deeply in love with your Savior, so deeply in love with your Heavenly Father, that at the end of the time, your prayer would be, not my will, but thy will be done. Heavenly Father, I want you more than I want anyone. I want you more than I want a second marriage. I, I, I say this because this is what I know for a fact. I could easily stand up here and tell you about all the consequences of a second marriage, especially as a kid who grew up in it. I could tell you all the consequences, but you know what? I've never stayed committed to anything good because of negative consequences or fear of consequences. And that's not the Christian life anyways. Like, I I hope that Shauna is not staying committed to me because of what she's afraid might happen, that suddenly she's going to have to cook all those meals for herself, or I'm afraid what will happen if I don't stay married. Like, Shauna, why do you stay married to Chad? Well, I don't know what would happen if I left him. Like, what kind of relationship would that be? I hope that she's committed and stays committed to our marriage because she loves me, even when she doesn't feel love. Because the group Boston was right. Love is more than a feeling. And your Heavenly Father, He longs for that kind of relationship with you more than anything else in the world. That He wants you, not because you're afraid of consequences, but to be faithful because you've fallen in love with Him because of His lavish love for you that He's demonstrated. And spend every single day and every single night not living like as a single or a divorced person, knowing, thinking, you know what, uh, if I disobey him, that somehow he's going he's, he's gonna to reject me. I'm, gonna, I'm outside of grace now. But that you would spend every single day as a single divorced person, knowing even if I disobey him, even if I say I'm doing this, while there may be consequences, he will never forsake me. 
Wow. What a God. What a Jesus. What, I mean, that's, that's humbling. That's compelling. That is sustaining, life-changing. That's perspective-altering. It's regardless of whatever your view of divorce and remarriage is, if you're divorced, just please give Him the time and the space to teach you the power of sustaining grace. And then once you have, then you do whatever you feel like God is leading you to do. And you can disagree with me on my view of Scripture and Jesus, and that's okay. We'll still be friends. I'm still going to love you no matter what, and I'm going to value you no matter what, but we all have to continue to learn to lean on God's sustaining grace. Last question. Where do you stand in relationship with this church, with new life? If you're somebody, well, I'm divorced, I'm getting remarried, I am remarried, where do I stand? Well, you stand right beside me and all the rest of us flawed, jacked up, messy sinners who are in utter need of God's grace every single minute of every single day. You're okay. No scarlet A, but just know what I want for you, for all of us, as a friend, as a pastor, as your pastor, is I want you to fully embrace your sin and responsibility and hold on to it till it just about kills you. Because it's only then that you can experience the incredible magnitude of the grace and, forgiveness, grace and forgiveness of God, your Heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally, and then for you to just be a part of this community and live your life as a forgiven son and a forgiven daughter of God. And there's just one final piece, and then I'm done. And this isn't a question, it's a statement. It's a final piece of advice that I would give you. And for some of you, you've never been divorced, you've never been remarried, but you've got remarried, but you've got parents that fall in this category. And part of me wonders if you'd just be desperate to hear something like this. It's a final piece of advice I would give that there are some of you that need to come clean. Not just with God, but others in your life, especially your kids. And what I mean is that you could tell me or tell God your story as to why you got divorced and he was an idiot, she was crazy, whatever, deep down, though you know you played a role. You just did. You were part of the problem. And maybe you just didn't want to be married anymore. Maybe you wanted to do what you wanted to do to make you happy and this marriage just wasn't making you happy anymore or wasn't fun anymore and the divorce decree says irreconcilable differences but come on, the truth was you just didn't want to be married to that person anymore. And maybe you wanted to marry someone else and you need to own that without qualification to the people in your life that it's affected. Some of you, the best thing you could do is to look in the mirror and own it. For some others, it's to sit down with friends and family members, maybe even former family members, and own it. For some of you, the best thing you could do is sit down with your children, your adult children, and look at them in the eye and say, I love you. The truth is, I was wrong. And I sinned. I was wrong. And though I can't go back and undo or change anything, I want you to know I didn't handle it the way that I should have or could have, and I owe you an apology. Because it caused pain and it tore our family apart and it jacked with your birthdays and your holidays and everything and it hurt you and I was wrong. And that act may be the thing that brings healing and reconciliation beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine and it may be long overdue. So the band is going to come up and they're going to sing a a powerful song. It's fairly new. It's called Space. Currently one of my favorites. Uh, because I know this message has landed in different places and because we're still a smaller church and I know many of you like first marriage still in it and but you've got people in your life that maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe a brother or sister and it's impacted you. For some of you, you have been divorced, you have been divorced and remarried. But wherever you land on this, uh, this is just a moment to sit and the band's just going to sing, kind of in a sense sing over you. And I love this song because it just reminds us of this compassionate love and grace of God. And especially if you're anyone that carries any guilt or shame for anything. Or maybe you just carry the pain and the wounds from having gone through it and you're, it was out of your control. But here's some of what this song reminds us of. There's these words. You feel lost, gone too far, but there is no distance in His presence. You have never lost His heart. He is close wherever you are. There's relief within His presence. He will hold you to His heart. There is space. Space for you 
to come. Come as you are. Come as you want. You are safe. Bring every part to be who you are. Oh, Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you so much that we have the words of Jesus. I thank you that for those that wrote it down and captured it and for all that played a role in getting it passed to us. And I pray for every one of us, Father, in this room because one way or another, we've, we've been impacted and touched by this. And Father, the, the truth is that your truth is times is just so unsettling and but it's also just a reflection of how perfect you are and how imperfect we are and so how incredible your grace and your love and your mercy is that you just you love us as your kids and you're compassionate towards us and your patience as we just continue to work out what it means to live and live life and be in relationships and follow you Father, I pray for all of us that are in relationships that you strengthen and guard those. For those of us that are married, that you strengthen and guard those. For those that have been through the wounded wounds and the, the pain and all the, everything that comes with trying to rip two things apart that you've put together, I, I pray for healing and for restoration and renewal. And so, Father, we, we need you. We need your spirit to strengthen us because we can be so impatient with each other. It's so easy at times, just like, I want to be done. And, God, we just need your help to be strong and to trust you and what's on the other side of it if we lean into you. And so, Father, I pray you go with each of us wherever we're at, wherever this lands with us. And, Father, that you would just take this truth and take this grace to develop something good and new in us that would impact us and the relationships we have with other people. And Father, I pray for our, our community that you just continue, that you would use us more and more to be a light and a presence in people's lives, to truly make a difference in our community as you work in us and through us outside of this box of a room into our community throughout the week. And, it, and Father, this particular weekend, we just thank you for those that have the willingness and the courage or the acceptance to go into situations that, honestly, God, it cost them their lives to be able to experience so much of what we experience in this country and even in this world. People that paid the ultimate sacrifice and paid the ultimate price. And Father, we don't take them for granted. And we thank you. And we thank you for those that are, are putting it on the line even this moment, this day you would guard them and protect them and Father that you would lead our, co our country to reflect you more and more in so much divisiveness and chaos and Father it's in the name of Jesus that I pray, Amen.